0: Welcome to Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town from the world's number one poker community. Hey everyone, I'm your host, Robbie Spruzinski, and thanks so much for joining us on episode number 70 of Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town. Today's guest is one of the greatest mixed game players in all of poker. In 2021, he won not only his fourth WSOP bracelet, Uh, to add to his lead as the UK's most decorated player in WSOP history, but he also won his fourth WCOOP and sixth Scoop titles. He's been dominant in both the live and online realms for several years now to the tune of over $3 million in live tournament earnings and over $1.4 million in online earnings. Today, we get to know the crusher a little bit better, Benny Glazer. Welcome to the Cards Chat Podcast. Thank you.
1: It's quite an intro. Thanks for
0: having me. Well well earned, sir. Well earned, well, (laughs) and hard hard earned and hard worked for. Um, I got to say, uh, you know, we've kind of like, you know, known each other, interacted, you know, a little bit here and there uh, over the years, but this is, uh, you know, my first, opportunity to have an extended conversation with you. I'm super excited and just, you know, full disclosure, I am a mixed game super fan. So I'm giddy as a schoolgirl to just talk mixed games with you uh, for, you know, not the entire time, but for quite a while. Maybe I'll, nice. I'll pick
1: up a trick or two. For sure. Yeah. I've seen like your uh, mixed game festival, the K and that kind of stuff. I've definitely... Known of your fandom for mixed games.
0: I, I appreciate it. And occasionally I even win. Not bracelets, but I'm up. Lifetime. So that's good, too. <laughs> I appreciate it. Um, okay, so your story of getting into poker, a little bit different uh, than, than, you know, majority, I guess, of folks these days. You saw your father Playing online, and that's how you became interested. I'm wondering, can you tell us sort of how old were you at the time? Can you elaborate a little bit on what it was like, sort of like your your beginning, your introductions uh, as you began to sort of like, hey, I want to play this game myself.
1: So when I initially found my dad playing on it, I was uh, about 14, 15 um, online. First became interested by watching that, and then. know, watching episodes on TV, the kind of old school back in the day where all the characters were so entertaining and, uh, yeah, kind of got into it more and more from there progressively
0: and started taking it more and more seriously. Well, uh, you know, we can tell by the accent you are of the British persuasion. Were you watching late night poker or was it uh, the WSOP broadcasts and the high stakes poker and stuff?
1: Um. Definitely a lot of British ones as Late Night Poker, Poker After Dark. I think probably one or two others. that I'm forgetting that like 10, 15 years ago were just Uh absolute classics on British TV. Um, I don't think they're really World Series broadcasts so much ever. But those, yeah. yeah. Then eventually like High Stakes Poker as well. Those cash games that did get my attention, yeah.
0: Okay, well, anyone who's watched a good amount of, of poker on TV, we know that uh, predominantly it's Texas Hold'em that gets, uh, you know, the screen time, uh, you know, you walk into any poker room, you're seeing, you know, bunches and bunches of Hold'em tables. You know, we love our mixed games, but Texas is where it's at. You're saying you got into poker from watching it into, on TV, watching your dad, where did the mixed games come from?
1: So my dad was both uh, Limit and No Limit Hold'em like that long ago, There's still like Limit around. That was mm-hmm. interesting. Um, then he delved into some uh, PLO8 randomly, which also got my attention. Uh, fascinating game and seemed very profitable as well at the time. And the other thing is that I was uh, rating a lot of the like high stakes online games back in the day on Full Tilt where the biggest games were the mixed games that was the seven game eight game the 1500 uh yeah 1500 3k that was mostly running most games you got Gus and those guys and yeah those were really interesting to me that they were running for the biggest buy-ins for most days and I was both entertained and trying to learn from them
0: yeah so you learned by observation or you started playing them as well like you know free rolls and and low limit stuff like what was that process like
1: yeah both um watching was both interesting and i think educational for me i was actually trying to analyze um what they're doing quite often um i'd go through hand histories that I would watch like at the end of the session that they played I'd still like have a table open go through hand histories be like oh you know into, like actually trying to learn something as well as just a, uh, entertainment value and yeah then eventually start playing it myself again with free rolls as you mentioned and low stakes and uh, trying to get in experience volume for that for yeah trying to improve that way so
0: that, that's interesting you know you're already talking about studying it taking notes looking at things analytically typically that's something that we look at very serious recreational players and professionals do that i mean were you of the mindset to be a pro already at that point in time or was this just you know uh, an extension of your fandom of the game i guess at the time
1: it was more the latter like i didn't have like the specific visions to be a pro. I didn't have like a specific goal or intentions with like, I'm going to be the best. going to start. you know, it was both, uh, just out of interest and trying to get better, uh, both just this way of learning and things I found interesting at the time and, uh, trying to work out those things also was interesting to me. So yeah. And I both like, enjoy trying to get better myself somewhat like challenging myself in that department so yeah it wasn't like a specific goal like I'm going to pre- it just kind of got more progressively serious like
0: that. Yeah. like okay interesting well most of the folks that I know who are not professional players if they know mixed games it's from their home games yes some online as well but you know they just you know get together with their buddies you know their gal pals and you know once a week twice a week you know, once a month, whatever it is, they have the whole game and they have all the different wacky, you know, varieties, not, you know, much more than just the eight game mix, even more so than, you know, the amount of games you find at the dealer's choice, at the WSOP. Did you ever kind of have that and say, you know, it's a good opportunity to, you know, get some reps in and it won't cost me too much?
1: I wish I had that, honestly. Um, There's nothing like that in the UK, like almost at all. I played almost no live. I played like no mixed games in the UK almost ever. Um, I had not very many like local poker friends uh, like long, long time ago. And that was only ever Holden. So unfortunately, no, never had that kind of experience that I would have liked to, both for educational and fun purposes. And yeah, it wasn't until basically I was traveling to the US where I started learning those extra crazier games
0: that seems to be sort of a a sub poker culture thing that's just you know lacking in in some way um why do you think that is and again like the fact of the matter is it may be small and niche but it does exist in you know the states quite quite a bit and i'd say even in europe there is a little bit of it um but the uk nothing you wouldn't find it in poker rooms at all
1: occasionally i mean just in general poker isn't as big of a thing in the uk as Uh it is in the us like Mm -hmm. obviously some but just as the population the subset of x population there's going to be like much fewer mixed games Uh um so there are like one or two games that are kind of uh pot limit dealer's choice i think i've heard in like london and uh i think it was blackpool Um, I've never actually played those, but I've heard they exist, but it's pretty much just like one or two spots in the whole country. It's just like one specific game that occasionally runs, um, beyond that, the reasons I don't necessarily know, um, unfortunately, like there've been times, like I've tried to start mixed games in London. Um, there was like one mixed game that ran uh, at the Vic, the Victoria Casino, which is the biggest one in London. But that was like a semi uh, kind of private scheduled game that w- would run like once or twice a month that uh-huh. was like by by like already established you know, pros and regs who would play it. So that would occasionally run. Um, but as far as learning, there's just like nothing really. It's just rare to find in general places outside of like London, any reasonable stakes anyway, like casinos around me nothing bigger than like one two runs ever yeah right that's so.
0: well, interesting so your your path towards just mixed game superstardom is you know very unicorn like in that way you know you like really kind of emerged from from nothing uh as it were um wow that, that's uh, extra fascinating um at what point though did things change for you from just sort of being a fan extension of the fandom to saying, okay, I want to make a living doing this. And, you know, sort of like an addendum to the question, did you have any other sort of professional aspirations before poker that maybe you had turned away from? Uh,
1: Yeah, I think I have to answer that. So, um, I was obviously playing online quite a lot, so there was a few years where I was grinding, yeah, pretty low stakes, and up until it was basically 2014 when I took my first shot at the World Series. And I was still playing like relatively low limits, like two, four, four, eight, basically. And then I uh, went out for the World Series, and st- so I was still like playing like part time, essentially. And then 2015, when I went out there the second time and fortunately won my bracelet, my first bracelet, that it kind of took off from, from there really where it kind of launched further in, like both bankroll wise, obviously, and felt like from that point I could take it as a full-time profession from there basically. Um, So it just kind of, gradually went more full-time into like 2014 where both I could see I was, I was personally getting better and I could see that I was beating the games and as a more viable profession and more viable option when I'm clearly like getting better at that point as well. So I could see that I had a future at that time. So yeah, that was that point. And, um, but your second question, it wasn't like specifically uh, something I turned away, but um, kind of a year or two prior, I was hoping to go to uh, a music institute, actually, to study guitar performance. So that was the main thing. It was just like studying, which uh, didn't come to fruition at that time. So poker. But yeah, that was the other main thing on my horizon.
0: You still have uh, an affinity for music, uh, for guitar playing, you know, ever since you were a you know, little boy and such. Um, what uh, I guess what what does music make you feel? You know, when you pick up the guitar to play, even if it's you know a little bit more rare nowadays than it used to be. What uh, what are you sort of chasing, and and what sort of flow are you hoping to reach there?
2: Mm.
1: Interesting questions. What am I chasing? Uh, What does it make me feel? A lot. Um, Music I'm very passionate about and um, has a potential for all kinds of feelings and uh, emotions. And like, especially when playing guitar, um, it's very enjoyable. Um, So yeah, mostly... Okay. Uh, I guess happy, happiness, with like joy and uh, passion, aliveness, all that kind of good stuff. I enjoy
0: on um, my I chasing. I guess more things to that effect. Yeah. Uh, okay, <laughs> that's fair. Uh, some people turn to music for a variety of, of different uh, reasons. I'm curious uh, where that came. from. Sure, yeah. It's a lifelong passion. So, for sure, that's why I was trying to think
1: how to answer and to answer like those specific questions. I could potentially go deeper in a, a few ways but um yeah that's it in a kind of
0: nutshell I guess okay well we'll switch uh, gears back out of music you mentioned your first trip to the WSOP 2014 mm-hmm. yeah being the the way you sort of developed as a player and, and as we sort of you know have, have covered the the unicorn as far as mix games you know you travel across the pond and all of a sudden you see an entire room full of people who, you know, Hey, these guys do what I do. These guys like what I like, uh, guys and gals. What does that make you feel walking into the Rio um, and sort of, you know, knowing that there's, you know, a whole bunches of others like you and that they don't just exist online.
2: It was very cool. I'm trying to think exactly like back to my memories then, hmm. uh,
1: I can't think in like such detail, but I'm sure I loved it for my for my first World Series um, before becoming a bit more <laughs> jaded by it in, the, in more recent times. Okay. Um, then, yeah, I'm sure it was very exciting with the more electric atmosphere, and I know I was definitely excited by like seeing all the all the like pros that I've heard of from online and from TV that I've obviously ne- never seen in person before, never played with before. And that was definitely exciting. And also just the actual playing with them when I did eventually get to like that was definitely exciting yeah. um, for my first time. Yeah. I knew I enjoyed that.
0: And being that you didn't really have, I don't know, a, a posse of sorts, uh, in the UK, where where you had been based, when all of a sudden you land there and you see all these folks, was there anyone who you kind of gravitated to, you know, became more friendly with? Whether it's for, <clears throat> excuse me, for strategy purposes, bouncing hands off of, or just you know, as far as camaraderie and the shared joy of mixed games, did that, did that happen over the years?
1: Somewhere, yeah, over over the years, like. It's it shifted, but yeah, right around the time of my first World Series, uh, the main person I was becoming friends then with is uh, Adam Owen, yeah. um, who's one of the other very few <laughs> UK mixed game players. Um, so yeah, I think that was my first World Series when I met him there from previously like talking online for a year or two, having not met there. So I. As far as that goes, it was maybe it around that time, especially for mixed games. Um, as you said, or as we've established, there's almost like nothing in the UK, unfortunately. So there's just very few that I'd know from either live or online. Um, and I hadn't really traveled too much at that point yet. So uh, at that point I hadn't really got like, you know, American or other European friends, which, Obviously, I came kind of later. So, sure, over the years since then, I've got the more American friends um, that I can bounce off ideas and, you know, even, like, Russian friends since from, like, the EPT stops and things like that. Um, so, yeah, I guess that's shifted since, but, yeah.
0: You feel that that's helped you improve as a player? because, mm-hmm. And I ask that specifically because, you know, you made it your own way, you know, when you started out and then you first landed there, and then all of a sudden, you know, you, know, you, you do get to experience the live play, but, you know, just a little bit more of that bonding, do, do you feel that that's helped improve or have you sort of stayed in your own lane as far as your your growth uh, strategy-wise and, you know, you know, uh, uh, talents-wise, I guess, for lack of a better phrase?
1: Yeah, it was, it was definitely important for me. Um, especially in the kind of the like the middle stages of my uh, improvement where there's obviously such little material online for mixed yeah. games that it's much tougher essentially to uh, improve than it is for no limit both because of material and as far as any kind of like solutions go which um even no limit players who are starting by themselves are able to just like look at solutions more readily. So it is more important for mixed game players, I think in general, to be seeking out from other people as far as uh ways to improve uh just because of how little content there is and other ways to improve there are. So yeah, that was definitely very important for me. Um and it's I guess been something I've relied on less in recent years, but um, yeah, definitely a few years ago, I was valuing that very highly, and uh, like even since, like even in my no limit um, improvement, it's been uh, incredibly important. So actually, that's probably what I've been talking about more is recent years with friends is no limit um but yeah absolutely that was uh, one of the most important things for my improvement pretty
0: cool well uh you know 2022 2021 we're well, definitely very very far down that road uh, of improvement uh, Like like say relying on it less i would i would venture to guess cuz you know you're pretty close to the top if not at the top uh, of that uh, of that mountain there you know, we mentioned off the top, you are the most decorated WSFP player ever from the UK. You won your fourth bracelet this past fall in the 10K Raz event. How much does that mean to you? And I mean, you're just 32 years old, and you know, I'm I'm, I'm 40, and I, I always make myself seem older that way. But you know, 32 to have achieved that much success—that's um, pretty darn awesome. Uh, is this you know kind of like how you envisioned it going? Or, you know, what are your sort of impressions uh, at this stage of your career? Uh,
1: yeah, well, it definitely still means a lot. Still does feel awesome, as you said. Um, when you say uh, envision it going,
0: like at what stage? Like before my poker career or? like Well, when you first started out, you know, like the, we we say, you know, obviously the goal is to win as much money possible. But, you know, as tournament, you know, professionals go, you know, it's a matter of, you know, trophies, awards and, you know, not just being results oriented process, but still like, you know, getting that, uh, you know, trophy case of accolades is, is pretty nice.
1: Sure. I mean, like, before I achieved a success that, um, as far as what I envisioned was, would have been much lower <laughs> than uh, my current success, essentially. So I've, yeah, absolutely surpassed uh any visions that i might have had uh before i was you know going seriously professional um yeah so i would say absolutely exceeded expectations in a great way and i'm obviously very happy for that and yeah it still does mean a lot and uh specifically the 10k Raz still also did mean a lot to me. It's been five years since I won my previous bracelet, which kind of, I guess, doesn't, it's a lot in terms of my career bracelet. Yeah, but, sure. um, So in that way, like I, I had like two seconds since, you know, and a third, like, but yeah. So with close calls as well, it kind of, um, I guess made it more meaningful as well. Um, after having like, you know, such disappointment before and the way he talked about it as, you know, um, extra success and like cementing that kind of success, I yeah. think is, is also important to me and means a lot. Like I appreciate how other people talk about that and me and things like that in that regard. So, Yeah. That's still something I appreciate.
0: Well, we know uh, you know you can't really luck box your way to a final table. And he uh, said it had been five years. He had some runner-up mm-hmm. finishes. And, man, when you got heads up, this was quite a battle. Um, you know, yeah. we could talk. You had a, a huge chip lead heads up uh, against Everett Carlton. He battles back from just four big bets. Uh, then he takes the lead. And then you okay. manage to close it out um you know it's important like okay we see Benny Glazer he won like that's the context folks you know like um so does that carry any extra special sort of meaning I mean is there any sort of like uh you know just like you know pro athletes you know when you're golfing or basketball you take the free throws you know you have to make the putt was there any sort of mental freezing or or, or, like what's going through your mind at that point in time that critical juncture uh, of the tournament when you're chasing you know bracelet number four
1: Yeah, for sure. There was a a lot that went into it. The other thing was that it like got extended. The heads up was extended to a fourth day Mm
2: -hmm.
1: where we were previously told on day three tournament has to end today. It cannot go (laughs) into another day. And then, so we're playing heads up for something like an hour and a half at the end of day three. And they're like, no, okay, we can end it here. It was like 3am. We're all exhausted. So it went on to day four. So that in itself was just hard because I'd had like, several days in a row of like little sleep and obviously coming into day four for heads up for a bracelet still like still difficult to sleep adrenaline's going all night um preparing for this and as you said as well like that added to it when at the start of day four he went he was like at least a two to one chip lead
2: yeah
1: and I lost lots of frustrating hands and um sure the, the mindset was not ideal at that point. Um but yeah, I mean from experience like I, I know I'm obviously capable of coming back from that kind of deficit and still thought I was the, the better player at that time. So you know, still knew it could happen and uh I felt as well at that time where he was uh, becoming a bit less emotionally stable after he'd lost uh, one or two hands. Like, there's one point in the middle of the hand where he just, like, stood up and started walking around. Um, (laughs) And, yeah, funnily enough, when I did eventually win and from, like, going down to the trough where I was really not enjoying the situation so much, it did feel, uh, I think, better at that point. It's, like, more well-earned like I fought harder for this you know as if it's like harder than if it was just like an easy breeze then yeah it would feel less yeah so I think that made the winning a bit sweeter too yeah
0: that definitely takes a lot of uh, intestinal fortitude and clearly uh having been on that big stage before uh is uh you know uh, one of those intangibles you know you just it just helps uh, you know, uh, to in a, to take you to a sort of a different level, have that extra gut check, extra gear. Um, well, OK, so results, you know, again, we're not supposed to be results oriented. We're supposed to be process oriented in poker. But you chose to do something very interesting. Um, on Twitter, you recently posted your complete WSOP buy-ins and profits. It showed $216,100 in buy-ins and $784,233 in earnings, uh, just under 570K in profit. Uh, that includes the RAS bracelet, a runner-up finish in the 25K horse, a third in the 10K no limit, do seven single draw. It was a great series by any stretch of the imagination for you. You're, you're a humble guy, though. You're not braggadocious. I'm wondering what it is that you're hoping to do. Cause most people, you know, we just see the hand and mob. We don't know how many how much people bought in for. When you put that out there, what, what are you doing that for?
1: I mean, kind of as you said, people don't know how much you buy in. And okay. so it was part of that. Like I saw Nigrani people were doing it for like transparency. Mm-hmm. And Seemed that like people were, were interested in it. Like I had one or two other friends who did it like, um, Brandon Jack Harris, for example, uh, was talking with a few other friends about it where like on paper, it might seem like someone has had a good series. Yeah. Um, like they made like three final tables and Brandon got a fifth and one or two others, but he essentially kind of like broke even like, so it's, it wasn't really a, a good series for him overall when, you know, obviously he's, a uh, winning player in the long run is going to anticipate having a good series and he's you know working hard for six weeks so whilst he might seem like he has 150 200k in caches you know he might be being even for the series is uh you know it's not really what you hope to achieve um and as part of that transparency as well. And I think people were just interested by it as well. Um, yeah. And yeah, I I, I try not to brag, but I didn't kind of do anything like that this series. It was nice. And I was, I mean, I'm not going to lie, I was proud.
0: Sure? Yeah. No, that, that's genuine. I mean, it's is part of the hope of, of doing that, you know, to kind of like passively convince your fellow professionals that they ought to be doing the same
2: no, I think probably okay. not in this. Scenario.
1: Um, yeah, I, I generally don't like to do that overall. Um, and I don't really think there's value in it. I, I don't okay. know. Um Is there any value in it? I don't know.
0: Um, from a media perspective, we, I don't mean to interrupt your thought process. From a media sure. perspective, we always look, you know, again, we only see, you know, we can only track the the, the earnings, right? And, yeah. and so there's perhaps a school of thought that says, well, it ought to perhaps be earnings minus buy-ins to have a more accurate reflection of just how successful, quote unquote, a person does in their tournament career. That That's sort of where the question's coming from.
1: Sure. Yeah, and I I definitely understand that perspective. Um, Obviously, there are, uh, you know, amateurs who might be looking to to turn professional or just like looking at results and thinking that's so amazing or this guy has millions of winnings. And as I say in like the previous example, that just might not be the case. Someone might be breaking even or, you know, losing slightly. That is the kind of sad reality of it sometimes. Yeah. Or like in the case as well, when he's got two put an ints, you know, down on the air in some cases.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It also shows how, you know, sometimes uh you know one big tournament, you know, may may make the difference. You know, even if you're oh. just rebuying seven or eight bullets, you know, you cash for a min cash, but you're down Absolutely.
1: Yeah. yeah. I
0: didn't know it was an, yeah. it was an innocent remark <laughs> yeah.
1: I'm sure I I'm sure I could do it in like in other scenarios where it's been like uh like online scoops and w cubes where I've like mm. one one or two like I, there was the last like two or three series when I got a first and second and like broke even on the series because wow. like it was in like the smaller buy-ins when I succeed and then like the high ones that I just you know brick for example mm-hmm. so it it can absolutely change in one tournament or, you yep. know, or in which ones you are good in. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, like you said that, uh, you know, the fourth bracelet, you know, had come five years later. It was a large chunk of time. Sure. You know, you go year after year, five years is a long time. I think where I was, you know, five years ago, listeners, you know, you can imagine where you are with your poker progression five years ago. Let's take a look at that, uh, very, very successful 2016 that you had had. You won both the 1500 and the 10K limit Omaha eight uh, eight or better titles within four days of each other. You also had a fifth in the 10K no limit do seven and a 12th in the 1500 no limit due seven. So, you know, I'm not going to, you know, laundry list read it, but there's, there's a reason behind it. You know, lots of us You know, recreational players will put together, you know, a fifteen hundred buy-in and like, okay, this is cool. We get to play for a bracelet. A lot of the pros, you know, they play the ten thousand dollar level. We don't necessarily get to taste that ever playing in a ten k, except if it's you know like a bucket list main event kind of thing. What's the difference? You know, someone who's obviously done both, succeeded at both, in a fifteen hundred dollar WSOP field and a 10K field. Is there any way you can kind of quantify it?
1: The difference in ability of the opponents or just both overall? Sure. I mean, so obviously there's the field sizes are are very different. Okay. We're going to be something like 100-ish players on average in the 10K. Um, But it depends on each variant as well. So like even the 1500 Like 08, for example, can get almost a 1,000 entries compared to like some of the other 1,500 where they can get 250 runners to 300. Um, So, I mean, the, the obvious answer is the standard is much better in the 10Ks. And it's not just the standard of like... Each player, but it's the the weighting in the field uh that it didn't work that well. But how the field is weighted in terms of the the good pros versus other recreationals. So yeah. you're going to get obviously fewer recreationals in the ten k's. Yeah. So it might be the case where all the same, like eighty, you know, uh, pros or semi-pros or regs um are gonna play uh, a 10k that has 120 runners in it and they'll also play uh, a 1500 that has 800 people in it where they'll make up only 10 of that field versus 60 or however so you're much more likely to get those at your table um the other thing is sometimes the ones who play the 10ks just might not play the 1500s because they don't want to play such big fields and they just rather play like cash games, sure. for example, sure. that runs throughout the World Series where there was a lot this year, yep. um, where they just think their time is better spent there. Fair. So um, that's another way where 1500 fields are softer and it's just going to be softer in ways of people who, you know, like might have normal jobs and save up uh, for a year to like, that's their shot. People generally in that scenario take their shot at like fifteen hundred. They're like, "This is the one that I'm going to try and put." They don't necessarily just like punt on a, on a ten k. Yep. Um, where, <laughs> so I don't
0: know yeah. who you're talking about there. <laughs> yeah, <to> <laughs> here. you know what I mean.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I, I think you know what I mean. Obviously that. Oh, sure. Um, the 1500s, it's going to get uh, a lot softer of a field overall. Yeah.
0: So what does a pro like you do to adjust to, to feels like that? I mean, I I don't know that there's necessarily a, a parallel in a, in a non mind sport. I'm just, you know, like a, okay. Chess master, you know, they're going to wipe the floor, you know, with someone like me or grandmaster basketball, you know, any professional basketball player going to wipe the floor no matter what, but there's, you know, a a lot of landmines, I suppose. And in a 1500 recreational players, we, you know, we go ahead and, we play our home game, mix games and stuff. Yeah, we're, we're you know, very admittedly not as experienced on the level. How do you adjust uh, strategy-wise uh, as a professional? And I'm not just looking for uh, tips to play when I enter the next one. Just wondering.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was trying to think of an analogy myself, but I can't really think of Right, it. it's a uh, unique situation. So generally in the 1500s, playing more against recreational players than generally would play a more exploitative style. Um, would play a uh, largely more aggressive style um, where I feel I'm more able to in those fields and I'm less likely to get punished in uh, some way. And also just want to play generally a more aggressive style that uh, I think can amass chips more easily in more hopes of kind of winning rather than just 10K kind of, I guess, I mean cash or whatever is is somewhat more meaningful Um, where the 1500s, I think, both in ways of trying to get to the final tables and in view of winning, but also uh, potential other edges later in the tournament where having the bigger chip stack is is more meaningful as well. So, in those ways, it's different, as well as just in the 10Ks. I'm trying to overall play a kind of more solid style that's less exploitative when it's against largely good players. Yeah. Sure.
0: And, and you know, the, your answer makes me think of a question I hadn't prepared this one, but because it was, uh you know very it was kind of discussed ad infinitum uh, this past fall uh the idea of late reg, especially as pertains to the main event. Um that is something that you know folks like folks like myself, I don't really necessarily understand this idea of late reg. And like you said, lots of us we go ahead and we'll save up a whole year or this is our this is our main event the big 1508 game mix or the 1507 stud, something like that. Yeah, I want to be there when they say shuffle up and deal. I don't want to miss a hand. Right. Mm-hmm. So from a professional perspective, maybe just sort of teach us here. Late reg is good, you know, not just because you want to sleep late, but there's got to be some sort of a, a rationale behind. it.
1: Sure. I mean, the other main rationale is it's the World Series. So you're playing for a full seven weeks and someone like me who plays everything and wants to play basically every day almost. It's tough, man. If you're going to be playing from the start in every single tournament, you're going to be often playing like 10 hours a day. Um, and it's it's a serious grind like every day. It's exhausting if you're there from the start. So there's that, uh, which is a huge factor in such a series where it's obviously more so the case for pros rather than people who are just taking their shot in three Absolutely. to five events or something. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, you want and you want to still be able to try and play kind of your best for each event. Yeah. So overall your kind of mental cognitive ability is gonna kind of deteriorate a bit more if you're just doing that every day for more hours each day, then that can affect like a future tournament, um, where you're just you know playing your C game in every tournament, for example, if you're there from the start. Um just from the sheer number of hours that you're putting in, so there's both that, and if you value your time, then from the start playing 200 big blinds deep in uh, in a 1500 might not be worth someone's time who you know a professional's time who's sure. playing you know let's say 300 600 mixed games as well sure. like limit limit games. Okay. So yeah.
0: Well, it's a very legitimate answer. It's, it's important. You know, I just There's no way I could understand that perspective myself. So I think that's just very interesting. And I guess perhaps, you know, you correct me if I'm wrong here, perhaps an insight to be inferred uh, or, or gleaned from what you said. Again, I'm, I'm just saying the majority of our audience, you know, people like myself more on the recreational side. So we are going to go ahead, have a great night's sleep, show up for the weekend or whatever it is, play our event. If we're showing up early, it's happened to me a couple of times, you know, six handed, you know, and all these mixed games and stuff, there's four people at the table. You would recommend, you know, as in principle, at least theoretically as an aggressive an approach as possible to just try and accumulate chips for when the pros arrive, whenever they arrive.
1: It probably depends on each person in a few ways. Hmm. Uh, one because a recreational might just be less used to playing four-handed or just play it less correctly than a pro or let's say you know there are like two other pros at your table four-handed then that's not as good of a spot for you obviously if it's six-handed then there are are two pros so it's kind of hard to say i think that's quite a quite an individualistic thing um especially when you might be similarly as likely to lose chips for when the pros arrive. Yes. Um,
0: it it can happen. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So I, it's kind of hard to answer that to be
0: honest. That's fair. I, I, I I can tell you're not kind of like hedging, uh, you know, there's no like, uh, golden path kind of answer, but uh, it's just sort of interesting so, to always hear that insight. Yeah,
1: it depends on the event. Even like if, if it's a re-entry event, you might be playing more
0: aggressively at the start for example, sure. as well.
1: Yeah. Sure. Potentially fire a second it. yeah.
0: Well, for those who don't necessarily want to get too in the weeds with the uh, strategy discussion and got to change it up just a little bit with more of a fun question, uh, okay. you mentioned uh, Brandon Shaq Harris. Uh, mm-hmm. and you know, plenty of folks who've been there either in person or have seen the pictures. Uh, you, Brandon Shaq Harris, Eric Rodewig, you guys have these bear costumes that you wear in the 1507 uh study uh, at the WSOP. What's the deal? Who lost the bet? Uh, what's, what's what's going on there? <laughs> it was uh is voluntary. Um okay. it started,
1: I think three years ago, uh possibly f- four. Uh, they're basically Brandon I think Brandon's and also like there's a third one I think that's Eric's that um, basically went on to I think it was that year, three years ago where Brandon ended up getting second in the 1500 study whilst wearing that bear costume and it, I think it happened again like they wore it again the following year and then this year, just purely for fun, I was like, "If you have a spare bear costume, I'll I'll take it this time." Because there's, uh yeah, it was, it was Matt Ashton who wore the other one last time, and he wasn't playing them this year, so I decided to
0: be a bear for an event. Okay, <laughs> That's fun. Sure. it's fun. good. Good to have a little bit of fun. I like it. Um, okay, so uh, let's let's pick uh, the mixed game brain. What are some of the mixed games you'd like to see grow in popularity? Let's say you can, uh, have, you know, had a you know, uh, a lamp you could wish for any game. I said, this is going to be the, you know, we, we've seen, you know, PLO kind of grow in popularity. What would you like to, uh, the next one to be? And perhaps uh, that the WSOP needs to add uh, a bracelet event that doesn't currently have on schedule.
1: Hmm. So for the first question, my answer is basically always no limits single draw seven. Mm. Pure. That's, yeah. Oh yeah. That's, so that's my favorite game. Okay. Largely because of its, Purity, as you uh, say straight away, I think it's a great game. Uh, Pure form of poker, lots of skill, lots of fun. Um, I think it's, I mean, it's generally enjoyed, like there there are mixed games, you know, that people like, like less generally as a consensus. Like obviously over the years, I've spoken to lots of people about it. So generally that's one that is liked, throughout, through most of the mixed community where, and I know it's also lots of people's favorite game too. Um, so I think it's generally enjoyed by people who try it as well like they're crossing over from No Limit. It's easier to transition into that than some of the other games. Yeah. And yeah, when I've spoken to like friends or other people who are, who are trying it for the first time, especially as like, that happens in the World Series, people are going for a bracelet um then yeah they they really enjoy that one and even like students of mine for example who are trying it i want to learn that also really enjoyed it they're like i love this i want to get into this more i'm going to watch this final table i'm going to try and play this yeah so that's absolutely would be my number one pick that i'd like to see uh growing popularity um okay. and then for your second question as uh for the world series adding don't really know. There are lots of people who would like to see a Badoogie event added. Just a straight yeah. yeah, <laughs> so I guess yeah. Um I, I that's feels like that's maybe the obvious answer because it's kind of been discussed. I don't know if it ever will be added. I would like yeah. to see it added. Okay. I think it's like lends itself to being a good and interesting tournament game, too. Yeah. Um other than that. don't really know i i guess i would like to see a straight big o event i think Ooh. that would be good
0: okay interesting
1: um maybe even a no limit variant but i think that's l- less of a good game or like i guess would maybe re-entries but yeah i think uh big o when it's only in the dealer's choice and the 08 mix right now i think oh. that would be Good as a standalone event that's also played like in other places in the us that i know of. so uh
2: yeah
1: oh okay or, well, oh just to say i did like drama would be the other one that i would consider just for just for the fun of it i don't think it would be a great event but that's just like as far as some of the other circus games that's maybe the other one i find more fun yeah
0: drama bracelet wear benny glazer i like the ring <laughs> okay <laughs> Uh, You opened the door there to something I was unaware of. You said, my students. I did not know that you teach. Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, I do.
1: um, For four or five years, I guess. Okay. Um, And it's kind of generally rarer. It's both because... I mean, I I travel a lot, so it's just harder to orchestrate it a lot of the time. And because mostly I'm just teaching mix, so it's kind of niche. -er And yeah. And like a a lot of the people I teach or have taught are from like regulars already in some capacity, either um in mixed events or like successful no limit that of trying to transition over um, yeah but i generally really enjoy it and find it fulfilling and yeah you Time think to that, keep doing.
0: Uh, makes you a better player as well
1: it can do yeah um i think you can, you can occasionally see like perspectives from other people that's interesting but I think it's probably more so that I like to stay uh, like sharp mm-hmm. try to teach my students the best knowledge that I have or the best knowledge that I am um, have access to. Okay. So I try to like actively um, seek out the best info and try and keep myself as sharp as possible in order to be the best teacher I can and teach students the best I can. Yeah.
0: Okay. Very, very complete answer. Um, way back in the day, uh, you know, the Doyle Brunsons and the, the Texas Road Gamblers, they didn't have many tournaments uh, to go and practice their craft. They just had the cash games. Uh, and, you know, the, I don't know, the improvement curve uh, was very different than nowadays. You can find Hold'em games anywhere. There's a tournament in every casino, uh, you know, $60 tournaments. And of course, you got the big marquee series uh, mixed games are you know, further behind in, in that evolution, uh, I suppose, and uh, someone who obviously enjoys them, uh, is successful at them, such as yourself, it's not just that there's not too much theory out there to learn, but even on the practice end uh, of it, it's pretty difficult. Um, you know, it, yes, it does exist online on certain, uh, you know, online poker platforms, but um, you know, at least from, from my experience and, 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 you know, travels that I've had in Europe, in America, it's almost impossible to find low stakes, mixed games, let alone, you know, the higher stakes. If you're well bankrolled, I guess you can always put, you know, some sort of a game together, you know, like uh, something like that. How do you get your reps in, uh, you know, and and, and practice? Um, and again, part two is what would you recommend to someone um, I guess, you know, how can, how can they get their reps in?
1: Yeah. Uh, there isn't exactly an easy answer, unfortunately. Mm. Um, in, I mean, personally, I played a lot on uh, a particular side or two uh, when I was improving. And until then, like, had, had barely played live. There were like, Two uh mixed game tournaments in the UK that I had ever played before I went to my first World Series. Wow. And yeah. So I, th- I think that's correct. And yeah, in short, for me, it was unfortunately like very difficult to get my reps in that way. So even like online, I would just have to be battling like even just other regs, like heads up or something like i've been playing sitting goes i'd be open sitting most tables um trying to get action and it was difficult it was unfortunately the answer really yeah. Um, especially in the uk and at that time that was kind of my only options really um there weren't even really many games running so just yeah just sitting tables on my own for <laughs> some of the okay. time <laughs> waiting for that um and yeah, as you said, especially low stakes, um, uh, I was fortunate that the bracelet boosted my bankroll where I was um, able to. Um, but yeah, even like during my first World Series, that was like something when I was trying, like the cash games as well as the tournaments, that's what I was trying to do. Then yeah, unfortunately, there weren't that many available in some scenarios. So it was difficult. Um, I kind of wish I had a better answer in some ways. And obviously in the U S there are lots of other games that are more uh, accessible, I think.
0: Yeah. Las Vegas um, in particular. You that's, can find uh,
1: yeah. There. yeah. for the availability, but in other parts of the country, I guess they're not so easy and especially online.
0: So, yeah. Well, to perhaps hone it a little bit further, uh, there was an experience I had once, uh, and there was a very telling response from a poker pro. Um, I was at uh I believe EPT Barcelona and the lowest stakes cash games that they had there were five, five euros. There was no one, two, one, three, no two, five, it was five, five. And at the time I had never played uh, that high before for me. And I was like, well, I'm not sufficiently rolled for this. And someone said to me, there's nothing to be afraid of. The same, you know, 250, 300 euros you were willing to risk is the same money at that table, A. And B, the worst players are playing at that limit because there's nothing lower. Do you believe mm-hmm. that sentiment to be true at a twenty forty or a 30-60 mix? Because that's the lowest you can typically find in most places. Do you believe that's true or is everyone kind of like, you know, smelling for blood in the water?
1: think it's largely true but I guess at least two things happen. One is that there are some people kind of in your shoes or like similar who are kind of scared by that stake in whatever way both because they might assume the caliber of players better and just also from a bankroll wise they might be afraid to risk you know let's say a 5x bigger game than they normally play if they normally yeah. play like 4 it So that was even the, the case with me, for example, the World Series when like lowest was 2040 and I was paying like up to up to 4-8 or 9, something like that for my first World Series, um, where it was kind of daunting initially. So I think that assumption like can be correct in a way, of, like you're saying, there are gonna be like some better players than if it was the same game lower. Uh the other thing that can happen is you get like say 50, 100 players who are regular that they're going to drop down as well. If like there are fifty, 50, 100 games going, or they just think that 20, 40, 30, 60 games better. So you're going to get some players coming down from there, which can sometimes make it tougher. So it's kind of hard to say. Um, But I mean, at the same time, like the the 20, 40 games is is still great, but you can get the uh, coming down from the high stakes which can make it worse,
0: yeah. Well, One place that uh, legendarily uh, the mixed games do happen at the Nosebleed Stakes, it's now called Legends Room. Uh, most of us know it as Bobby's Room. Uh, I imagine you've stepped foot uh, on that hallowed ground before. Uh, any interesting, I mean, some people don't like to be named, uh, you know, there or anything like that, so you don't have to name names, but any interesting stories or something, something funny, you know, that happened, uh, you know, behind uh, the glass walls that maybe you could entertain us with? i wish i had more interesting stories um <laughs> i i have
1: played there uh a couple of times and then it kind of moved outside of the the room itself as well since then to like upstairs in the blagio and then also occasionally in the resorts world um where i like played it where it's still like the quote-unquote bobby's rooms game uh-huh. but just not right in bobby's room correct um and yet and still nobody calls it a Legends <laughs> by the way. It's <laughs> All of the regs call it Bobby's So So, uh, yeah, I, I wish I had more interesting stories, but uh, nothing really stands out that I can think of. But, yeah, it's, it's been some fun games for sure.
0: Was there an instance where perhaps, again, I don't know, but was there an instance where perhaps, uh, I don't know, a famous uh, wealthy, a whale walks in or a famous athlete or... Uh, you know, musician, I don't know, something like that, who just, you know, has got tons of money and, you know, you're just there to entertain while uh, making him pay the price? I absolutely wish I could say yes to any of those. <laughs> but, but no. I guess they know better.
1: better. Was, I know there? there was um, the founder of Expedia, I know, was it in one of the games, but I didn't manage. I was on the waiting list. <laughs> oh, know. shame! wow. Uh, yeah. Okay, uh, that's interesting. In that,
0: yeah.
1: No, mostly reckless. Okay,
0: fair. Um, so just uh you know to end up my questions before we seg into the community questions here. I know that you're headed to Vancouver uh very soon. Uh you do obviously travel the world a ton. Is this meant to be sort of like a, a long-term move for you?
1: Yeah, this is uh at least longer potentially. Um kind of unclear right now but yeah this is uh basically my first time moving abroad so i'm quite excited yeah uh it's gonna be for at least uh like four and a half months until the world series okay and then i'll basically decide from then if i would choose to extend it in some way uh when i get back from the world series or after that yeah so that's to be seen but uh yeah definitely exciting as a longer term prospect.
0: Uh, obviously a very big life change. Uh, I know that maybe prying just a little bit, but uh, any particular catalyst? Uh,
1: there isn't like one specific catalyst. Okay. Um, there's no like specific reasons, I guess, for me to live anywhere in particular. I mean, I've pretty much lived in Southampton or had that as my base, like my whole life from like, right. Familiarity and have some family here, mm-hmm. um, but thankfully I don't really have uh, any responsibilities at this time in my life that mm-hmm. I have the freedom that I'm able to do that. Mm-hmm. And would like to try something new. Would like mm-hmm. to try like living abroad. I think it'll be a enriching experience. I hope. Mm-hmm. Um, I have some friends there too, and uh, you know, have always been recommended to to go there and live there by lots of friends who live there. So I'm excited to uh, venture to some new pastures and try new things. Yeah,
0: good luck to you. Uh, obviously, a lot closer to Vegas, uh, you know, so you can uh, hop down a little bit more easy as well, and, and still play online, uh, you know, with the rest of the world. Uh, so that's pretty cool. Uh, Massive. Best of luck to you. It's uh, obviously a very big thing and just full disclosure, folks, Benny was very kind to make time whilst he is, whilst, get the British in there, whilst he was uh, packing uh, up to to move his life over. So I sincerely appreciate uh, that you've made that time, uh, Benny. Uh, It's pretty cool. I'm definitely uh, enjoying uh, peppering you with all these mixed game questions. Uh, And now it's time to see uh, if uh, the folks in the Cards Chat community have some mixed game questions for you. Guys, uh, this is the uh, portion of the show where you submit your questions that you want to ask our guests. Uh, We have a dedicated thread on the Cards Chat forums for this. So as we announce who our future guests will be, please be sure to send in your questions for them. Um, And the first one comes from Pirate Glenn. Pardon?
1: I said, I'm excited for
0: some of these. Okay, cool. Uh, Pirate Glenn wants to know uh, as follows. It's awesome that you have four WSOP bracelets, Benny. Of those four, which were the toughest heads up? I
2: think it has to be the RAS, the 10K RAS.
1: The first one, I mean, I think maybe even the first three, first two or three, were all like relatively quick. At least compared to my Raz battle, they were relatively quick. Um, where there was pretty much just a few like key hands that swung it, and. The Raz was, yeah, as we talked about a pretty tough battle where it both went into the second day. And uh, I went down to that point where he had the big chip lead. I think in all the other three, um, well, two of them, I, I had the big chip lead already uh, coming into it. And then yeah, the third one, it was kind of even. So yeah, that was toughest, I guess, both mentally. And uh, yeah.
0: Cool question. You don't get to ask that too many people who have uh, four different bracelets <laughs> to choose from and think through. Uh love that one. Another one from Pirate Glenn. Where did your poker star's screen name, Run Godlike, come from?
1: <laughs> uh, I guess, I mean, there's not too much of an interesting answer. Yeah. Just I made it up. Um, oh, okay. Um, yeah. Uh, I like had another one on a previous site, just about similar as well, just about running well. And it was like <laughs> the best you could possibly run the hope to as well. So yeah, that's pretty much it. And also occasionally, I guess it's, it's probably seemed to like tilt people over the years <laughs> when, <laughs> <they're>, like, <laughs> the sky so far. Like that wasn't an intention of it, but it just seemed like a byproduct occasionally. Yeah.
0: Fair enough. Uh, Well, uh, Mr. Helmuth, episode four, by the way, we interviewed uh, Phil Helmuth. He's got his white magic and you've got your ninja maneuvers. So those are are well talked about throughout the world. Can you tell us a little bit more what you mean by this term? Pirate Glenn wants to know.
1: So it's mostly like, the, there's some like niche like short stack things that you can potentially do in some scenarios, uh, especially in like mixed game tournaments where I think there's uh, some things that are potentially like a bit unexplored by the masses where the I guess in a similar way to Helmuth where he's less willing to risk his tournament life where some other people just like, oh, I have three big bets left, let's just like get it all into the middle in some way. But there are definitely ways where you can have a bit more room for creativity, where you don't necessarily need to risk your tournament life if it's not necessary, Uh, or there's spots where you can uh, manufacture some extra fold equity in order for you to survive basically without needing to be all in and just have fold equity, the nice spot. So uh, that kind of like somewhat cheeky things like that, <laughs> that um, I've looked at before. I think I'm I'm pretty good at that. I think it's an extra edge over some people, yeah. That's
0: fair. Uh, and just to sort of illustrate for those who, you know, that that may be just a little bit too high level uh, of talking, I just can t- speak from my own experience uh, limited experience, but you can sit in a mixed game tournament with very few big blinds, you know, cause you know, the games are limit, you know, if you're playing horse, something like that for quite a while, very comfortably and, and wait for your spots. Um, so, you know, I, I think that's the, the type of stuff that, that you're alluding to Benny, but you know, five big blinds is plenty. Uh, you know, you can still, uh, make those ninja maneuvers, uh, and, you know, and, and rebound back to a healthier stack size. Um, Mm -hmm. last question from pirate Glenn, um, what would your advice, sorry, what advice would you offer, uh, an aspiring pro today playing both live and online for the first time?
2: With so, with zero
1: experience, this is not not someone
0: far. who needs to know the uh you know what beats what, but like someone who decides they you know I'm ready to go pro, um, I think that's uh you know what we're what we're aiming for here, only someone who thinks they're ready to go pro,
1: yeah, I was gonna say if you've never played online or live but have aspirations to go pro, I would i guess say. You might need to reevaluate that. Right. <laughs> down Fair after.
2: Fair yeah. yeah.
1: So, um, I would say, I mean, I guess, put in some volume and experience. Make sure you're a winning player. That you know, study as you can. Um, the kind of, I guess, boring, sensible answer is going to be get volume in where it's clear, you're a kind of consistent winning player and are gonna be able to uh, realistically turn pro uh, in a consistent winning way that, um, you know, it's gonna be a viable profession for you.
0: Uh, my follow-up on this, cause this is not a uh, Pirate Gen's question, but would you advocate for some sort of uh, staking or backing?
1: That's, again, quite an individual question. It's okay. going to depend on lots of things. Like if you have a life bank role mm. as well, that might be quite healthy aside from that. I'd say overall, no, it's better to not go down that road. Mm-hmm. There are reasons to do it. Um, that can help. Um, if you're starting out, then... No, like staking can be if you say, want to move up stakes from where you are, like if you, for example, in the scenario where like you want to play live, but there are no like games below 1020. Uh So like you can say staking, if you'd say, take 1020 in 2040, but you only have half of yourself or something like that, you want. So those are like reasonable scenarios where staking's a good avenue when you just want to put in more volume we think it's going to be more profitable than not being staked essentially. Um, uh, But as far as like life stability, that's going to be very individual and depends on kind of staking deals. There are, there's going to be like some with makeup, some without, some you're just paying for a portion, some you're not investing any of your own money. So yeah, that's,
0: I can't, I can't help but reflect you know in uh you know we're both uh, members of the tribe you know so many times he asks you ask a, Jew a question and the answer is it depends and in poker it really is that as well sometimes <laughs> so, um acid burn fx uh, one of our wonderful uh regular contributors uh here asks uh, always some creative questions we're gonna You know, extricate ourselves a little bit more from the strategy stuff, Uh, just more like uh, personal uh, reflections from you, Benny. And uh, with this, we will end. We got uh, three questions very, very good questions. Acid Burn FX wants to know if you could magically change one thing in your life, what would it be?
2: Hmm. Give you a time danger. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I guess probably it would be something that along the lines of like a personal relationship, like um maybe just like being married to someone who I'm incredibly in love with. That's probably the honest answer. Um yeah, just I don't know, find the love of my life instantly.
0: And beautiful. yeah. Well, whenever that does uh, come, I hope, uh, you know, it's uh, a meaningful moment for you. Uh, beautiful, we got a very truthful answer, I like it. Um, yeah. next, next, next question from Burn FX. Um, oh, also ladies, Benny's available, just saying. <laughs> um, wh- what is your favorite thing you own and why?
1: Hmm. I mean, my first answer I was thinking it was guitar, but it's, it's probably not because, like the, they're, they're not like unique. So then I was thinking, I mean,
2: maybe as far as uniqueness, it might be like a bracelet.
1: I don't know. As far as them also being sentimental, but it might be somewhat kind of lame, cliche answer. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, I, I wouldn't say there's anything like particularly stand out other than that. Okay. I'd kind of look around for inspiration, but yeah.
0: <laughs> Well, you've been packing, so maybe there's something. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay, yeah, we we'll end off with the final question then. Uh, and I really, I really like this uh, creativity here. Thank you, Acid Burn FX, uh, Benny. If you could have a superpower, what would you choose and why?
1: I don't really know. I feel like most of them would have, like, some caveat in, in some way. I'm trying to think. I don't know. Um I can't really think of anything original beyond the, like, standard things. Like, mind reading has, I don't know, obvious benefits, but that's probably has like cons as well in certain ways. Um, So I was trying to think of something that would like only be nice. I I was
2: trying to think like a more creative, original answer. Maybe it's reading minds because,
1: <laughs> I mean, I feel like you can advance in so many areas in life, but it might just be something like uh, learning like literally anything you wanted like instantly, something like that, or like having the ability to like do anything you want instantly, something like that.
0: That would be the answer. I like that. That's really cool. Uh, so There's no shortcuts, as we know. The Benny Glazer that we got to speak with for the last hour plus, uh, it did not happen overnight. So I suppose if uh, one could wish themselves into that situation instantly, that would be a pretty GTO move. Um, thanks, thanks to everyone who sent in your questions for Benny Glazer. And again, a friendly reminder to all of you out there in the Cards Chat community. We'd love to see you submit your questions for our future podcast guests, in the dedicated thread on the forums. Please be sure to give us a good review on iTunes and spread the word via your social media channels if you like the show. Benny, before we let you go, anything else you'd like to share with our audience?
1: Nothing, that's all for me.
0: Well,
1: okay. (laughs) Thank you for having me on. Yeah, I appreciate it.
0: Cool. Quite fair. Uh, Thank you very much again, Benny. I appreciate it. Thank you all for tuning in once again to another episode of Cards Chat. I'm Robbie Straczynski, and you can follow me on Twitter at CardPlayerLife. I wish you all a wonderful day. Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town from the world's number one poker community.